We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We will attempt to get verses 6 through 10 today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. Quick review last week, we talked about the fact that Paul again is encouraging Timothy for people not to teach things that are contrary to what that he has revealed unto Timothy, and if they do, they are people that they really go against Jesus. And he says sometimes people do that, sometimes people are argumentative, and they cause all sorts of problems, and he says be careful of that and withdraw yourselves from those types of people. He ended, or we ended last week, with the fact that he said sometimes people teach things contrary for gain. And we talked about the fact that that's definitely true. Sometimes people will say and do things in every facet of life in order to gain financially, to try to better themselves, to get them pla- get themselves to a place of uh, that is higher socially, economically, whatever you would want to say. But he goes into talking about this whole idea of gain and uh, this idea of wealth and money and uh, I think that's something very, very important for us today. Verse 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When it comes to the idea of money, if I ask everybody in this room, do you like money? Do you like money? Oh, yeah. We like what it can do. And in essence, we all like money. And there's nothing wrong with with money, and, and we're going to talk about that today. And sometimes people get the wrong idea, and man, they want to hammer down. And you know, if you're rich, then you're just you're horrible. And some of the best Christian people I know on this face of this earth are very, very wealthy people. We're going to talk about that. There's nothing wrong with that. So at the very outset of today's lesson, don't get that idea. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with money. There is something wrong when we love money to the point that we will. Uh, will change things in our lives. We will corrupt ourselves, and that's what we're going to see. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Remember in verse 5, he says some people teach things contrary to what Paul had taught, and they do that because they want to, to add gain to themselves. They're looking for dishonest gain. He says the greatest gain a person can have is to do what God would have us to do. That's where our our peace is found. That's where we can find contentment. How many of you want to be content? Every person in here wants to be content, right? In fact, I would suppose that everybody in the world wants to be content. But the problem is everybody looks for it in different places, don't they? Go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. You don't have to turn there. Maybe you know it well enough. Did Solomon look a lot of places to try to find contentment? Yes. He searched everywhere, high and low. He tried everything that his mind could envision. But you see, contentment does not come from possessions. But does the world believe that it does? Yeah. 
You know, sometimes, and I've said this here before, uh, the word contentment literally means to be happy, to be pleased, to be satisfied, whatever. Have you ever made this statement? I would be content, I would be happy if I could get whatever. You ever thought that? If I could just get to this in my life, then I would be happy. You know, if I could just, you know, have the house that's got four bedrooms, then, then we would be happy and, and that's all we would ever want. What happens when you get a house with four bedrooms? Sometimes you want one of five, right? You know, if I can just, uh, I like to own the land around me. Who doesn't, right? We want to own all the land that joins us. But what happens when you buy the land beside you? Well, then there's something else beside you then, right? And, and then you want that. And then it just goes on and on and on and and we look for contentment in all the wrong places. And I say we because I'm as guilty as any person in the world. Contentment is not based upon our surroundings. It's not based upon, again, these material things. Contentment is an inner attitude towards life. Contentment is based upon you. It's based upon me. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, he praised the Philippians because they had... Uh, sent him help. And he said, I'm not speaking in regards of want. It's not that, that I just had a fervent desire to have more things, so I wanted you to send me some money. He said, that's not it. Verse 11, he says, because I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Contentment is a learned process. You don't, be con you don't find yourself content just because you wake up one day and you're like, well, I'm good. Everything's just exactly the way I want it. No. It's a process of life. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 12, he says, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to be hungry and how to be full. He says, you know, wherever he found himself in life, he had learned to, to figure out a way to just be content with it. Now, how many of you find that easy? Oh, I've seen hands going up earlier, but now I don't see any hands, right? That's hard, isn't it? That's hard to, to whatever is going on in your life to just decide within yourself, I, I'm just going to be content. I'm just going to be happy with what I've got, where I'm at. And, and, and sometimes we press that too far, and I'll get to that in a moment, but it's a difficult thing, what Paul said. To be able to make the statement, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. But you see, that's what he's telling Timothy here. Godliness with contentment. It's where gain is at. Ultimately, if you're a Christian and you have a million dollars and you're faithful and you get to go to heaven, that's good, right? Right? All right. What if you're a Christian and you can't find two nickels to rub together and you get to go to heaven? Is that okay too? And the end result is, right? The end result is, so as a Christian, ultimately what he's trying to say is that should, what, that should be what makes us content. It's not what we can accumulate. It's, it's not all of these things. It's, it is a, uh, contentment is a relationship thing, right? It's a relationship thing. It's a relationship thing, number one, with God. God is the one that can make us happy, that can make us satisfied, that can make us content. And, and if you don't believe that, read the book of Ecclesiastes again. Solomon said the conclusion of the whole matter is what? All those other things didn't matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. So ultimately, it's a relationship thing. Number one, with God. Number two is with the people we surround ourselves with, right? 
Possessions won't make you happy. But if you surround yourselves with people that you love and, and that love you in return, will that make you content? Yeah. Yeah. You, you see, having a, a checking account full of money, well, that doesn't do a whole lot for me, but surrounding myself with people I love, that does, right? Having a church family that you love, that, that, that's what it's about, and, and that's what Christianity is about. And I believe that we really, really need to see that. As a person, we need to understand that our, our sufficiency is not within ourselves. You see, that goes along with this whole idea of being content. But our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, that's, that's what Paul teaches there. We're not self-sufficient people. And sometimes we want to be, and we think we should be, but ultimately it's got to come back to relationships. God is here, and I depend upon Him. The people I surround myself are here, and I depend upon them. And when I do that, I can find happiness. I can be content. And all of those other things have got to be secondary to those. What's the first and second greatest commandments in the law? Family Bible, what does he say? Matthew 22, 36. Love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the, it's relationships. He tells us that that's it. That's the most important thing in your life is your relationship. Number one with God, number two with people. And that's where you're going to find your inner peace. Uh, that's where you're going to uh, find your happiness. Great gain uh, that he's talking about here would be uh, a spiritual gain and, and inner peace within you. And, and don't look at this uh, always uh, as talking about money. Verse 7, he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we uh, will take nothing out. Job said in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and how's he going to return? Naked. He didn't bring nothing in, he's taking nothing out. And, you know, you, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? There's country songs about that. Don't even have a trailer hitch on a hearse, I believe one song says. And that's not what it's about. You can't take anything with you. You've heard the joke about the guy that wanted to be buried with his money, so his wife wrote him a check, put it in his suit pocket. He got all of his money, but I don't think he's ever going to get to cash it. really doesn't matter. You brought nothing in, you're going to take nothing out. You know, the rich young ruler... When he came to Jesus and he says, Master, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you keep the commandments. Well, I did that. This is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. I've done all of that since my youth. He says, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor. Well, what was his attitude then? He went away sorrowful. He couldn't do that because his, his contentment, his happiness was based in a different place. It wasn't based on relationships. It was based upon possession. The rich man in Luke chapter 16, rich man in Lazarus. The rich man had everything in this life that he could ever want. And in the end, after the judgment, after his judgment at least, what did it matter? Nothing. He brought nothing in. What did he take with him? Remember Abraham said, son, in your lifetime, you've, you've, you know, you've had everything. Uh, but now Lazarus is comforted and you're tormented. You could, you could buy everything that you wanted in your lifetime, but now it doesn't matter. You brought nothing in, you take nothing with you. All right, verse, uh, verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. God is telling us to be content with the necessities of life. Be content with the things that you have to have. Now here's sometimes where people, they try to muddy the water, if you will. 
Sometimes people like to say, well, uh, again, this whole idea that, you know, we shouldn't always want more and we shouldn't try to, to work harder and we shouldn't accumulate and we shouldn't have bank accounts. And we, you know, sometimes people stretch that too far because God says be content with the necessities. But that does not mean that we should not work. That does not mean that, that we shouldn't be motivated to grow our businesses and all of those things. In fact, God teaches otherwise. He teaches us in the book of Proverbs to look at the ant. What did the ant do? The ant works and he lays up, right? The ant works and he stores up and, and that way, I mean, look at us as people. What do we do? We work and we try to store up. Someday we're going to get to the age that we're not going to be able to work and, and we want to be able to have uh, the funds to enable us to live and do things and enjoy ourselves. And, and God, he doesn't have a problem with that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, even Solomon says, listen, while you're on this earth, I want you to enjoy yourself. There's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. I made a list here on my paper. Noah. Was Noah rich? I looked it up. Uh, anybody been to the ark? I've not been to the ark up there in... Kentucky, that ark cost over $100 million to build. You say, well, that, that's, you just, that was just built a few years ago. How much do you think it cost Noah to build that ark? A lot of money, didn't it? Noah was, Noah was filthy rich. Filthy rich. Does that mean that, that he was a bad person? No. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, the Bible says Abraham was very rich. Read it for yourself, in silver and in gold. And, and man, Abraham was like Donald Trump, uh, not morally, but uh, according to his bank account. He, he, had, he had everything. He had all of these servants. Man, he had herds and, and all kind of money. And, but Abraham's the father of the faithful. Does that mean that Abraham should have been content just to have enough to eat that day? And again, don't misunderstand this. Don't misunderstand it and don't read into it something that, that's not there. What about Job? Job was a man that was so faithful that Satan brought his name before the God of heaven. Now you think about that. Satan is trying to attack all of us, right? Satan handpicked that guy. That man, he, he was exceptional. And he says, God, you've... You, you put a hedge around Job, you put, take that hedge down. Job won't serve you for nothing. Job only serves you, in essence, what he's saying, Job only serves you because you've given him all those things. Well, God allowed the hedge to be taken down. Did Job still serve him? Yes. Here's the point. Was Job rich before? Was he rich after? Doubly so, right? I can't remember which one of the guys talked about it in our meeting, but, but he, he doubled everything that Job had. So if Job was worth $10 million before Satan got a hold of him, Job was worth $20 million after. Did that mean that the money was evil? No, well, no, not at all. What about Joseph? Joseph, I mean, you can go on, Abraham, Isaac. Isaac was rich. You know, Jacob was rich. What about Joseph? He's number two man in Egypt. He has got everything he could imagine wanting. Was Joseph still a man of God? Absolutely. Proverbs 31 talks about a virtuous woman. Did that woman work hard? Did she have motivation to try to grow a business and to, and to uh, store things up for her family? Yeah, and the Bible describes her as a, a woman that, that should be desired to imitate. 
in this life. Solomon was a man that was loaded, and, and, and that wasn't God's problem with Solomon. You realize that? God's problem with Solomon was not that he had a lot of money. God's problem with Solomon, that is, he allowed his wives to turn his heart away from God, and he worshiped false gods. That was God's problem with Solomon. David was filthy rich. What about the guy that buried Jesus? What was his name? Joseph of Arimathea. Was he rich? The Bible describes him as rich. So again, don't get the idea that, that God says, I should just be content to just live a, a, just a very meager life and have the bare necessity. That's not what God's saying at all. In fact, we're about to find out what God is saying. Go on to verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That word but, that word but, he, he's transitioning, he's saying, he's talking about these people here in verses 6, 7, and 8, well, well, this is how you be content. You be content, you know, not in the abundance of things that you have, but you be content as long as you have the bare necessities. As long as you have that, you've got to learn to be content wherever you're at, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. I have seen people in these other countries that have almost nothing, and they've got a smile on their face every day. Uh, so, again, remember that. Now he transitions, but now he's going to discuss discontentment. He's going to discuss what it's uh, the attitude that we may possess from time to time that makes us unhappy. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Probably most of us in this room, probably most of us, we've struggled with this attitude from time to time. An unhealthy desire for more. Again, we live in a, a land of abundance. We've got more than, than we could ever want. And sometimes, again, I'm telling you up front, sometimes that's hard for me to not want more and more and, and you continue to work. Uh, even though the Bible tells us in Proverbs, don't overwork to be rich. Sometimes we do, don't we? We will work and we will extend that out because we want more and more and more. And that's where we, we've got to be very, very careful because we don't want to get in trouble. He says those who desire, that word desire, that is an obsessive frame of mind. That is the person that obsesses over, uh, I want more. And you ever known anybody like that that's like that all the time? All of us maybe have tendencies from time to time, but I've known people that, man, they... They would do anything to get more money. And that's their whole mindset. Everything that they do, everything they think about, it's constantly, how can I make more money? How can I get more of this, 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 this? He says, you've got to be very, very careful when you find yourself in that state of mind. He says, if you have an obsessive frame of mind to be rich, the goal is to be extremely wealthy. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, there's a rich farmer. And he's got a problem. He says, man, I've got, and I'm going to paraphrase, I've got so much stuff that I don't know what to do with it, right? I don't know what to do with it. He says, I've got an idea. I'm just going to tear down the barns I've got, and I'm going to build bigger barns, right? That way I can store everything that I could ever hope to have. And what did God tell him? Thou, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. And this guy had an obsession. He had an obsession within himself that he, he could never get enough. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. He says if you find yourself with that obsession that you always want more, 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 
He says, well, then you're in danger. He says, because you can fall into many temptations. Temptations are, is an enticement to sin. An enticement to sin. If you have a, a, just an inordinate desire for more money, how can you be enticed to sin? Get anything you wanted. Okay, there's one. But what about with the whole uh, striving to obtain that? You think you'd lie? You think people would lie to get more money? Think they would cheat and steal and, and, and all of these things? In fact, I, I wrote down a list. This whole inordinate desire for money uh, leads to selfishness, does it not? If you've got somebody that just wants more and more and more, are they usually selfish people? Yeah, and this goes along with the next verse, the love of money, and we're going to talk about that. But they're very sometimes selfish people. They would lie or they would deceive to get anything. You know, a lot of people will make crooked business deals, right? Will make crooked business deals to, to obtain more and more and more. How many people have you known that would do that? It doesn't matter what they've got to say or do, but if it will get them more money, build their bank account, well, then they will do that. What about these people that have this, this obsessive frame of mind to be wealthy? Will they sometimes neglect the poor? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Take away all your time. I even wrote down here to go along with that. They'll lose their family a lot of times. They'll lose their family. Well, what about I wrote down adultery? How would that play in? You think there's ever been adultery committed because somebody has an obsessive nature to want more money? Yeah. How, how many women do you think in this life would, would uh, throw themselves at a, a rich man? It happens all the time, doesn't it? All the time, you'll see a, a beautiful 25-year-old woman married to an ugly 80-year-old man. Why do you think that happens? Yeah, they're digging for something, right? So it causes all kinds of problems. What about murder? Do people kill for money? Yes, they kill for money. They will steal to get money. What about people that have an obsessive nature when it comes to money? Do they worry? How many people do you think that are just completely obsessed with the stock market will just worry themselves sick when uh, it's going through a, a downward trend? Oh, absolutely. And again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have stocks. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying when you've got this, this desire that is not right, then you, you run into all of these problems. He says they'll fall into temptation. They'll fall into a, a, a snare. A snare is a trap. Uh, you will become a slave to money if all you think about is money. You'll become a slave to it. Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is a scary thing sometimes. We want to build wealth and we want to do, but it's like he says, the more we have, the more God expects from us in every facet of our lives. So sometimes wanting more 
well, that's going to, you're going to be accountable for more. And that, that, that's a scary thing too. Quickly, I, I want to finish. He says, these people, they will be a slave to that. They will fall into foolish and harmful lust. The word foolish means without understanding. Harmful means to suffer injury. Uh, when you obsessively long for something, and I wrote down Solomon. Solomon was obsessive about all of these things, and it cost him so much. And we've got to be careful that we don't do the same. It will drown us into destruction and perdition. We will sink into discontent. Our whole life will be focused on gain. And ultimately, if we die in that condition, we uh, will lose our soul. And we don't want to do that. All right, verse 10, quickly. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Love of money. I want you to notice something. Money, in and of itself, is not good or bad. Money is just money. And it's not inherently good or bad, so... Throw that out the window. And I know you've heard this before. Sometimes we say money is the root of all evil. That's not what he says in any shape, form, or fashion. He says the love of money, that inordinate desire for it. It's just you just can't get enough of it and it's all you think about it. And it doesn't have to be money. It can be possessions, but money buys all of those things. And here's another thing I want you to see. This is not just wealthy people. Sometimes I have heard this not sometimes, I've heard this a lot my whole life, and people throw that at wealthy people. Some of the people that love money more than anybody else I know don't have very much at all. But that's all they think about. And some of the most giving, good-hearted people I know are very, very wealthy. Listen, without very wealthy people, what would happen to the church and all of the works that we do? You ever considered that? If it weren't for wealthy people, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? We take the gospel all over the world. We try to send these people. We do all of these things. If it weren't for wealthy people, you see, God gives people wealth. And it's just like he said, God expects us to use it for him. So don't think that money is the problem. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I underline that word a several times because it's not the root of all evil. It's just simply a root of evil. You see, there's a lot of other things that, that causes problems, but it's just one. It's something, a root is something that produces fruit. So the love of money is just one of the many things in this life that can cause us problems, but it's one that we've got to be very, very careful of. He says, some of these people with their greediness, you know what greediness means. It means you always want more, more, more. He said, they've strayed from the faith. They've trusted money more than God. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, Jesus said this. He said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's kind of a scary verse to me. Again, because we live in the land of opportunity. So a lot of times we are always trying to seize opportunity. You know, I'm always looking for another deal, another deal, another deal. And you've got to be careful about that. Don't ever put that above God. Again, we've got to be careful to not allow that to happen. Because he says, if we do, we will stray from the faith and we'll pierce ourselves through with many sorrows. We will commit spiritual suicide, in essence. We will cause ourselves all kinds of problems, both physical and spiritual. My time is out. I appreciate your attention. Lord willing, I'll see you next week.